Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. This is Julie Henricus, the Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I am really delighted to welcome Victoria Thompson to the podcast this week. Victoria is the USA Today bestselling author of the Edgar and Agatha Award-nominated Gaslight Mystery Series, set in turn-of-the-century New York City and featuring midwife Sarah Brandt and police detective Frank Malloy. She also writes the Sue Grafton Memorial Award-nominated Counterfeit Lady series, featuring a female con artist and an honest attorney. In her spare time, she's an instructor in Seton Hill University's master's degree program in writing popular fiction. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm, I can't wait to have this conversation, and I want to definitely talk about writing, but I also want to talk about your teaching and Seton Hill and, and sure. popular fiction, because um, that's, a, that's a gift to people who are looking to get a degree to have. It, it is. It is. And it's a, it's a unique program where we were the first in the country to offer uh, a master's program in writing popular fiction. Literary fiction, you can get anywhere, but um, popular fiction was sort of a, a unique offering. And uh, many, many of our grads, our alums have become published through the years. Um, it's it's such a joy to teach these folks. Um, the, the, it's, a, it's a low residency program. So right. people who have jobs and lives and can't like take a couple years off to go to grad school um, can still do it at home. Um, you, we, we have the students on the campus for one for like five days every semester, and then they go home and they do everything else online. And their thesis is a novel. So when mm. they graduate, they have a completed novel that's been polished and critiqued, and um, hopefully is ready to be submitted when they graduate. As you said, there's so many literary writing programs. Yes. And, you know, Kate Flora um, always says that literary is just another genre. So you know, <laughs> there's that. But um, having taken some writing classes back when I was young that, that had, were focused on literary writers, you are often made to feel less than when you're in yeah. those programs or that you're, you know, you're not good enough to write literary fiction. And that's why you're writing a mystery or science fiction or whatever else. Um, and so I love that this program that you teach in uh, dispels that and embraces um, genre. Yes. yes, and and we are the the stars, the 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 genre fiction writers are the stars of this program. So yeah, awesome. That's awesome. Um, and well, and they're lucky to have you because I also know that um, there's wonderful mentorship that goes along with this program. I've, I've spoken to a few graduates and that's it, a gift as well. Yes, it, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about you and and <laughs> and I'll start okay. where I usually start. <clears throat> but um, when did you say to yourself, I want to write a novel? Um, you know, it was kind of a gradual process. I was always, I was the kid in school that when the teacher said, we're going to write a composition today, I was excited. Everyone else was like groaning and I'm like, yay, I love writing. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I've read short stories through the years and I would make up stories in my head all the time. Um, and I just thought everybody did that. <laughs> I didn't know. Um, and, um, so what happened was, um, my husband was the news director at a television station in uh, central Pennsylvania. And for some reason, this publisher would send him four books every month um, and he'd bring them home. And um, so I was reading them and um, I read this one that was a collection of Louis L'Amour short stories. And I loved cowboys because when I was a kid, that's all that was on TV, you know, cowboys were. And cowboys are like the American hero, like white knights are the British hero. Cowboys are the American hero. So I always had this sort of romantic idea about cowboys and and I really liked reading about them. So I, I read these short stories by Louis L'Amour and I, just to illustrate how out of it I was, I thought, 
this guy's pretty good. I wonder if he's written anything else. <laughs> so <laughs> needless to say, he has written almost 100 books. So, um, and I read every single one of them. And wow. then I read Zane Gray and Max Brand and all the other classic Western um, writers. And um, what happened was I started dreaming about the Old West, because I was reading about it all the time. And and I would read something that really happened. And then I'd look up the nonfiction version and say, was that really what, how it was? And, you know, so I was doing research without even realizing it. Mm-hmm. And um, so um, one day I had this dream and I could not forget it. You know how you forget dreams. I mean, you never laid the last five minutes and they're gone. But this dream I could not shake. And I kept thinking about it. And I kept thinking, okay, who are these people? How did they get to this point? What happened afterwards? And before I knew it, I had plotted out an entire novel in my head. So I thought, maybe I should write it down. (laughs) And so I did. I typed it um, on a manual portable typewriter that um, had an E that kept falling off. <laughs> well, happily, so, that's not a useful letter. So <laughs> no, no, not at all. Not at all. So, um, so I, I, um, I, when I finished it, I thought, well, maybe I should try to get it published. So I started submitting it and I submitted it to um, um, publishers that publish Westerns. What I didn't realize was it wasn't a Western. It was a historical romance set in the Old West. And um, so uh, I finally, I found a a name of an agent and I sent it to this agent and she sent it back to me and she said, it's not ready for publication yet, but uh, Zebra Books, which is now Kensington, um, sort of specializes in first-time authors. So why don't you send it to them? Maybe they can help you. So mm-hmm. I did. In in my complete ignorance, I did exactly the right thing. And I said, this agent, I gave, gave the agent's name, said to send this to you. And that put it on top of the pile, <laughs> which <laughs> I didn't realize would happen. But um, it, it got, so like a week later, I got a call from an editor. And she said, we really like your book. It's really funny which was the first I knew it was funny. And um, she said, uh, but it needs to be, uh, it needs more sex and it needs to be 200 pages longer. (laughs) By then I had realized I didn't put any description in my book. So when I put it in the description and I put in a few more love scenes, um, it was 200 pages longer and it was ready to go and they bought it. So that was the beginning of my writing career. I was writing historical romance, which was very hot. This was in the 1980s. My, my first book came out in 1985. So this was um, very big in the, in those days. And um, the books were very long. I mean, today they're about 400 pages, but back then they were 500 pages and some of them were even 600 pages. And, you know, when you have a book that long, you need a lot of story, <laughs> to care, you know, to fill those pages. So what I was doing was I was putting mystery subplots into my um, romances. And my agent noticed this. No one else did, I don't think. But my agent did notice this, made note of that. So um, as the years went by then, um, it got to be the 90s. And um, I was writing cowboy stories. And cowboy stories went out of style. So suddenly no one was buying my books. And my publisher dropped me. I couldn't get arrested on publishers or And so um, my agent, who uh, had noticed that I could write mysteries, (laughs) suggested she I was sending I was actually sending her uh, uh, Woman in Jeopardy books. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, she kept saying, nobody's publishing these. (laughs) She kept saying, I can't sell these, Um, but you should write a mystery series. And I said the 13 stupidest words I ever said in my life, which were. Ooh, I don't want to be stuck writing the same characters over and over again. <laughs> so I resisted for a whole year writing a series. And then she called me up one day and said, um, I just had lunch with an editor from Berkeley. And they're looking for someone to write a mystery series set in turn of the century New York City, where the heroine is a midwife. Would you be interested? 
Well, by then I was desperate. I really, really wanted mm-hmm. to get published again. And um, I had set books in turn of the century um, already. A couple of my books were set at that time period. And um, my daughter had just started uh, college at NYU. So we had been to New York. We had walked around Greenwich Village. We went into the Barnes & Noble there, bought books on the history of <laughs> Greenwich Village just because that's what we writers do. And um, so I had already actually started researching and, and I didn't even realize it. So um, so I said, well, I'll come up with an idea. And I did. And they bought it. And that is the Gaslight Mystery Series, wow. which now has 26 books in that series. Wow. 26 books. So I'm going to go back a little bit. Was the agent who said to you, send this to what is now Kensington, did that person become your agent? No. Okay. No, she was not interested in being my agent. <laughs> just gave you good advice. She just gave me really, really good advice. <laughs> so, yeah. And you had been writing, I love that, you know, Louis L'Amour, maybe he's written something else because that could be a lifetime (laughs) (laughs) attempt to read all of his books. But um, talk to me about his writing historicals and that was it, I mean, I love that it was Berkeley saying we want this specifically and you saying, I'm here. <laughs> Let me write this turn of the century <laughs> book about it. I'm your person. But, um, you know, tell me about writing historicals, because it is um, it's a lot of work <laughs> to well, pull that know, off it, and to do it. It's a lot it. of work if you don't like it. <laughs> but if you love it, it's not work at all. And um, the the books that um, I mean, like Max Brand and Zane Gray, they wrote contemporaries, which were which are to us historicals now, but, um, but, you know, cowboys were the 1800s, um, the cattle drives and all that stuff. That was like 1870 to 1890, that little 20 year window where people did cattle drives from Texas up to the, up to Kansas and and further North. Um, so, so I, that was the time period I wanted to write about. That was the time period I loved because they had the cowboys and the, the branches and the whole thing. And, you know, from reading Louis L'Amour's books, I think I could probably survive in the desert and run a ranch <laughs> just from everything I learned from reading his books. I knew everything there was to know about this stuff. Um, even though I've never ridden a horse and never shot a gun, never done any of that stuff. But I, you know, I knew about it because I read about it. And uh, um, so uh, the 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 business about it being historical, that was what interested me in the first place. It was, I liked that time period. I liked the things that were happening then. I liked the, the manners and the mores and the, you know, the whole society, everything that was going on then. So um, and I had already read a lot about it just because I was interested. Mm-hmm. And so when you love the research, um, it's not work at all. And I always say, if you're not enjoying the research, you're probably writing the wrong book because you need to love it in order for it to to come alive for, for other people through you. And you had written... Um... I love that you wrote historical romance before, but but you you hadn't written a series. So how did you prepare yourself to write a series? I mean, that's because it. I mean, and never mind twenty six books. I mean, we'll talk about that too because that's a lot. But like you know, did you obviously you knew about arcs and writing long stories and complicated and, and all that, so that you knew how to do this. But what what what? What did you do in order to write a series? What did you have to sort of wrestle with? Well, I I was woefully unprepared to write a series. Um, I'm I'm not sure anyone is ever prepared to write a 26 book series. No, never. No. But um, when when they signed me to the contract, it was a three book contract. So I thought, wow, my series is going to be three books long. Yeah. <laughs> How exciting. Maybe it'll be six books long if I'm really, really lucky. Right. So um, I just had a sort of vague idea. And um, and Sarah and Frank, because I wrote romances, of course, I knew Sarah and Frank were destined to fall in love because they were complete opposites. 
had nothing in common. <laughs> and that's and that in a romance, that's how that's who who gets together at the end and lives happily ever after. So I knew they would get together. And that was the hardest thing I ever did was write that first book and not get them together at the end because yeah. I knew it was a series. It was gonna be, you know, I had to wait a few books at least before they could get together. And then um but and I thought, well, when the series ends, I'll have them get married at the end in the last book. But here we are, 30 years later, and it's not over yet. So and um, but so I did finally get them married, but um it was uh it was a long time coming. Um so the but but I I had no idea it would go on as long as it did. I did not plan. I did not make any plans except I thought they'd get together at some point. Um, and that was, and then I didn't know how they would. It was, it was a horrible experience because I had put so many obstacles in their way that I couldn't figure out how to, to get them together. <laughs> and, um, and, Interestingly enough, I um, I taught in this, I, t- I teach in the Seton Hill, Seton Hill's master's program in writing popular fiction, and I decided to go ahead and get my master's degree in the program, too. Mm-hmm. So I did that. And while I was a student in that program, um, it it became apparent to me that I needed to get Frank and Sarah together, that it, w- it had been way too long. My fans were going to rebel. It was going to it was going to hurt the series. So I needed to get them together somehow. And one of my classmates and I told my classmates I needed to do this. And I thought, well, I think what I'll do is I'll have a contest and I'll ask my fans to suggest ways they could get together. And um, maybe they'll give me some good ideas. So one of my fellow students said, I accept your challenge. He sends me this email. And he sends me a list of like 20 things that he ways he thinks they could get together. He'd never read anything I wrote, didn't wow. know anything about the series, just that these two people needed to get together. That's all they need. And so I'm reading this list thinking, oh, right, sure, he's going to come up with the answer. One of the <laughs> So I'm reading this list and I think, wait a minute, that one not only would work, it would work in the book I was writing at that very moment. Oh. And I was like, holy cow, <laughs> it was like perfect. And um, so I named a character after him as <laughs> 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 his reward. And um, and so that's how I got them together from this. And thank heaven I didn't rely on my fans because they just came up with the same terrible ideas I had come up with. And none of them came up with the right ideas. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, but that's, you know... Uh, so I finally solved that problem, but it was, um, but, you know, I always uh, advise people if you're going to be writing a series, you probably should think a little bit ahead at least because yeah. I did not. And it, um, it's been, it, it's been fun because I didn't know what was going to happen next. And my readers have, uh, my readers have forgiven me now that they're married. <laughs> they're they're going on, and and it it actually um, put new life into the series because everything changes then. And, yeah, and it was um, so the so the series got sort of a boost and uh, and a, a lot of new possibilities as far as stories and and characters, and so it's been it was it was a good change that I did, but uh, it was a long time coming. <laughs> it was a long time coming. <laughs> And I well, advise you to think about it before you get started because it helps. Well, there's so many decisions when you're writing a series yes. about the world, um, you know, and historical, but like what specifically are you, you know, what's the take? But also time. How are you going to deal with time? And you, of course, you didn't have any idea it was going to be 26 books no. in 30 years. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, but, you know, around book seven or eight, you probably thought, oh, <laughs> I need yeah, to either well, slow things down or go fast. Too fast. Um, in fact, one book starts the day after uh, the other one ended <laughs> at one yeah. point. So, I mean, there's not a lot of, you know, time in between each of the books. And, and really it's only been 
six years, I think, since the, the series is only like six years long. So, um, Which is great. so the time is moving slowly. Yeah. And you're and because you're writing in uh, a historical, you don't have to worry about modern contrivances. You know, mm-hmm. I've read very long series that are current day. And finally, you know, Elizabeth Peters had to do this in in her Vicky Bliss series, you know, in the last Vicky Bliss. She said, all right. This book started in the series started in 1974. It's now whenever it was 2000. They're going to have cell phone. Like we need to update things. So just everyone <laughs> bear with me. It's the current now. You know we got to do this, but you don't have to do that. You can. That, you is, can that has been a period. blessing that I could yeah. move time very slowly and and um, not have to worry about them aging. Not have to worry about them. Um, and, and of course, the uh, technology was developing then, but not yeah. certainly not as rapidly as today and uh, didn't have to worry about. I mean, I do wish sometimes they had cell phones <laughs> because I need them all to get together at a certain point. But there's how do they find out <laughs> they need to be there kind of thing. So, yeah. And do you keep researching the period? Yes. Every time I start a new book. I sit down with my usual suspect books. I have a big line. This is all my research stuff behind me here. And uh, I pull off these books and I just start reading um, because I know where I am um, timeline wise. And Mm -hmm. the next book is October of uh, 1920. So, okay, I, I can. So what's happening in the world then? So I read the, you know, read what's going on in the world, what was going on in New York City. And I keep reading until I find something that makes me say, wow, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. And that's what the book's about. That's the hook that I'm going to hang it on. Something that makes me say, I didn't know, because probably you don't know either. (laughs) Probably most of my readers don't know either. So, um, so, and, you know, people will say, did this really happen? It's like, yes, it did. <laughs> That's why it's in the book. It's so cool. <laughs> and, um, and people love, I mean, especially mystery readers, I find, love learning new stuff, oh. finding out secrets and, you know, why, why is a flashlight called a flashlight? <laughs> yeah. It doesn't yeah. flash. What does, you know, things like that. It's just, um, they love learning that stuff. And, um, and so it's like a, a bonus. You get a good, really good story and then you find out stuff that you didn't know. It makes you feel smart. I, I think you're right. I hadn't really thought about this, but but if just because we read mysteries, I think we're we're curious. I mean, that you know, it feeds that, but they people do love I love learning new things or having aha moments when I'm reading. It's fun. Right. It is fun. <laughs> it's fun. And so the counterfeit lady series, um, talk to me about that and and you know, did you take what you hadn't learned in writing your first series and then you know say, okay, I'm gonna do this one a little bit differently or or how did you set that series up? Well, it it started. I wanted to write um I was I was research well, I wanted to write a second series because I was retiring from my day job and I would have time to write a second um series. So um, my and my editor then uh, was Ginger Buchanan, and she recommended the early um, early 1900s as as a good time period. So I was researching that area, just reading some books, and I read uh, the biography of um, Consuela Vanderbilt, and turns out she was very active in the suffragist movement um, in England, and her mother was very active in America. Uh, with the suffrage movement, uh, women's suffrage movement. So, um, and I was reading these accounts of these women who demonstrated outside the White House and they were beaten and they were imprisoned and they were, they went on hunger strikes and they were force fed and all these horrible things happened to them that I had never known that women has really suffered to to get us the vote. And um, I thought someone should tell this story. And I guess it's me <laughs> because here I am. And um, I really, really wanted to tell the story. And I, but I thought, how do you write a story about the women's suffrage movement without making it sound like a textbook? Right. So, um, and I had done some research for another book about um, on con artists just by accident. Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't use it in anything. I just, you know, happened to come across it as I was reading. And I thought, 
wouldn't it be fun if a, if a con artist um, sort of got swept up in this and um, became and, and got reformed um, because of her exposure to the women's suffrage movement? And so that's what happens is my heroine is running for her life, literally, um, in Washington, D.C., because of a con gone wrong. She and her brother are conning this guy. And it goes really bad. And then he is trying to kill her, sends his goons after her to kill her. So she runs to the White House where this demonstration is going on. And she knows from the newspaper reports that they had started arresting these women at the end of every day. They would lock them up in, a, in hopes of discouraging them. And so they'd go home. But what happened was it just made them mad and more women came. <laughs> but um, but they uh, but she gets arrested with them and it gets thrown and, and, and what they had been doing was keeping them overnight and then sending them home. Um, but this time they sentenced them to three months in a workhouse. So she gets shipped to this workhouse and she's locked up with these women and they go on a hunger strike and all this stuff. So I wanted this book. Originally, this book was going to be a standalone telling this story. Mm-hmm. And um, but. When my editor saw it, they decided they wanted it to be a series. So um, that it became the Counterfeit Lady series that she she be, gets reformed and she starts doing she, what she finds out is that a lot of people can't be helped by the law. But her husband is an attorney and he's a very strong believer in the law, but and what doing what's right. But she finds out there's people who cannot be helped by the law and in fact will be hurt by the law. So she uses her skills as a con artist to get justice for those people that can't be helped. And um, so that's what she's doing through the series. And and um, now my next book, um, which will be out on December 5th, is uh, City of Betrayal. And it tells the story of how the the 19th Amendment finally was passed, and it's an even more exciting story than the first one of them being locked up in the workhouse because of what happened. It was, uh, it came down to one state in the very, very end and one vote in the very, very end that that close to missing mm-hmm. out on uh, getting the vote. So it's a, it's a thriller. <laughs> <But> <laughs> Hard to believe that it's a thriller about politics, but it is. So, um, yeah. So that's um, so that's where we are right with that series. <laughs> so. And when your editor said to you, I love this standalone, we all agreed it would be a standalone. I love it. But I think it should be a series now. Did you need to take that book back and say, okay, then we're not these are the things that I'm going to hold off on? Or did you just sort of say, fine, you know, as you were writing it, did you think, oh, this might be a fun series? How how was that transition? Well, I kind of had it in the back of my mind because I was, you know, I was driving in the car one day thinking about the book, of course. And and I thought, I don't want to leave these people at the end of this book. I like them too much. They're too interesting. And so I was at least open, and I I must have suggested that it, it could be a, a a series, and uh, and they agreed that it should be. So it's a it's not a mystery, and then people don't get killed or anything, but it's a it's a caper. People are yeah. getting <laughs> tricked well, and, and bamboozled and and conned left and right. And con books from of that period or, you know, up to the 30s, 40s, because before easy communication, before, are, are fascinating. I mean, it's just a fascinating period of time it to is. be a con artist. It is. Oh. <laughs> and the, the things they did, and it was just amazing. Just amazing. So you had mentioned... Um, that you quit your day job and so you could write two books a year. Let's talk about writing process a little bit. Um, how many books a year do you write typically? I've been doing, since I retired, I've been doing two a year. Um, I write one, um, let's say they're due January 1st and June 15th. So, um, and I take the summer off usually. Um, but um, it's it's hard to say how long it takes me to write a book because a lot of it's research and you know um that's not really writing but uh but usually it takes me about half a year um I write from well right from January to June 
um, on the one book and then um, September to December on the second book. So and um, do you write them separately? Do you yes. or do you? OK, uh, so you completely, don't completely separately. Yeah. And um, I write, you know, I write Monday through Friday. I try to write five pages a day at least. And um, if I get my and, and a chapter a week, so that's 20 pages. So if I write 20 pages and it's Thursday, I can take a three day weekend. <laughs> <laughs> but if I don't, then I have to write over the weekend to catch up. So and pages are what, 250 words or. Um, um, yeah, they're about uh, 300, about 300 pages. So, yeah, yeah about 80, 85,000 words, something like that. 75, something like that. And you, do you ever find that the two series lead into each other? Do you think, oh, this would be, you know, <laughs> um, oh, I love this character. It's like, oh, wait, wrong series, <laughs> you know, or, or, you know, ideas. I, I you, often you... have to stop and think which one I'm yeah. writing because, because the technology is different. The automobiles yeah. are different because they're about 20 years apart. Right. Um, and, um, Interestingly enough, that you mentioned this because the book I'm writing now is the next Counterfeit Lady book, which will be out a year from now. And um, they asked me to write a crossover book using some of the Gaslight characters in this Counterfeit Lady book. And my first thought was, oh, I can't do that because it's they're 20 years difference in you know, time. So how could I possibly do that? So I, um, so I made a spreadsheet of all my Gaslight characters, how old they are now <laughs> and how old they'd be in 20 years. And I realized that the children that are in the Gaslight series would be in their 20s by then. And they could be friends with Elizabeth and Gideon and you know, the people in the Counterfeit Lady series. And I, so I came up with a plot idea that does involve them um, in the future, 20 years in the future. And it's been really fun trying to, I mean, some of the things you know are going to happen um, that haven't actually happened yet, but they, so you find out, okay, yeah, these two people do get married <laughs> eventually kind of thing. So, um, yeah. It's so so that's what I'm working on right now is kind of a crossover of the those two books. So that's been fun to do, challenging and fun. Well, I would imagine too that even, you know, they're children now, but you don't wanna put anything in the counterfeit lady series that's going to predetermine what you could do with those characters in your other series, you know, in five books. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And do you um What's your process like for writing? Do you, you said that you keep doing research, so you say, "Ah, this is this is it. This is the idea." But do you then plot things? Are you a pantser? Talk to me about your your writing process. Yeah, I was um, I was a died in the wool plotter um, when I w was writing my historical romances. I would have the entire book, chapter by chapter, plotted out before I'd ever write a word of it. And then basically at that point, I was just typing it up so people, other people could read it, but it was all done in my head. And um, then I started writing the mysteries and I realized I had no idea how to write a mystery because I'd never done one real, a real mystery before. I had had mystery subplots, but not a, you know, whole book that was a mystery. So I sort of felt my way through it. I mean, I'd read thousands of them <laughs> so yeah. you know it sort of was in there somewhere but um I sort of instinctively knew what needed to happen um and um but after that what I did was I developed um a process that I used it's sort of half plotting and half pantsing um so what I do is I come up with the victim I know who the victim is and then I come up with five or so people who want that person dead. Mm -hmm. They have motive and they have opportunity and they have a secret. The secret may or may not have anything to do with the murder, but it makes them look guilty uh, and act guilty and lie and whatever. So it complicates the, the story. So I have five suspects, the, the murder victim, and um, I know why everybody, you know, why they want them to be killed. I usually do not decide who the killer is until at least halfway through the book. 
because I've discovered that if I know ahead of time, I make it so obvious that I have to change it anyway. So it's pointless. So I just don't decide. And then by the time, about halfway through the book, a second murder usually occurs somewhere in there. And um, so I have to figure out, at that point, I'm figuring out, okay, who is the second victim and why? And then that tells me who the killer is um, kind of thing. So, um, so, and then sometimes I don't decide till the very, very end who the killer is, but, um, but it's, you know, hopefully if it surprises me, it'll surprise the readers too. So, um, so that's the process that I use. And um, so, so I sort of got the plot, a little bit of the plot, but you know, what happens, uh, you know, how, how uh, the order that everything happens and that's sort of, I sort of just pants that part. <laughs> Um, and do you find that it's it's ever easy to write a book? But you've 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 done you've written a lot of books. Do you find that you um, is it? Are there still challenges to the writing of a book? I should I should phrase it that way. Do you still have challenges when you write a book? Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's never easy to write a book. It's, um, I'd have to say it's easier to write the gaslight books because they're straight traditional mysteries. And, um, uh, the, the counterfeit lady books are harder because they're not, um, mysteries. They're sort of their own thing and you have to sort of make up stuff, a lot of stuff to, to, to do that one. But so it's a little more challenging to do the counterfeit lady books, but, um, but it, it's not ever easy to do it. And and the the fun part, I think, is is when you figure stuff out. Because, you know, if you don't know who the killer is and you don't know, you may not know why this happened or that happened. Sometimes I don't know people's secrets at the beginning. They don't tell me until later in the book. Um, so, um, so what's great is when you wake up in the middle of the night and you realize, Oh my gosh, that's it. That's the thing I need to do (laughs) to fix this. (laughs) Or this is what needs to happen. And that's, I mean, I think that's why we write because (laughs) of that ah moment that, that comes every now and then Um, in every book, you get at least one uh aha moment when you realize, Oh, this is what will make it so much better. (laughs) Yeah. Um, when I talk to writers, there's craft that you learn and, and even as a teacher, you continue to learn, you know, we're never going to master this, Um, but there's also a magic to it of, of, you know, finding that piece of inspiration or, um, realizing that this character is actually really important to not just the book, (laughs) but maybe the series and, and all that. Talk to me about those magical, you know, letting them, letting them come, not trying to force things or, or, you know, what is magic? What's the magic of writing for you? Mm, that's a good question. I'm not sure how that happens. It it is magic. (laughs) Um, and it, um, you know, one thing I tell my students, um, and you know, we, um, in, in the, in the Seton Hill program, people have to turn in a certain number of pages every month to their, to their instructor to be critiqued. And, um, I can always tell if people are writing their 30 pages two days before the deadline and, or if they wrote every day, because what happens is if you, if you only write like two days a month, you're not thinking about your, your brain is not thinking about the book, but if you write every day, even if it's just a a page or two, every day, your brain is thinking about that book, even if you aren't, your subconscious is working on it. And that's where the magic happens is when you're not consciously thinking about the book, your subconscious is thinking about the book. And that's when the aha moment comes is that your subconscious figures it out for you. And suddenly it's clear there it is. That's what needs to happen. And, um, and it, it, it's, I mean, it is, it's magic. I don't know how to 
else to describe it because you you it you can't force it. It doesn't come by force. And you can't do it if you're writing, you know, every like two days a month. If you're writing two days a month, you're not gonna have that happen because your brain mm-hmm. isn't working. Your brain is asleep. So um yeah, it's the more the and and it, so it, I guess it comes out down to the harder you work, <laughs> the more reward comes from it because right. you get that your 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 brain just does the work for you. But I also heard you say, which I think is an important thing to to let folks know, it, that you don't have to write a thousand words a day. No, or or you know you could write a page as long as you're engaging somehow. With I, your writing, um, just to remind yourself that that's what you're doing. Right, <laughs> um, right. Yeah. <laughs> that's what uh, you're here for. <laughs> and in the, the, a program like that, you you do want to be engaged that whole time, um, you know, to, to get the best results by right. the end. But how do you teach people different, you know, to write? <laughs> When everyone's going to do it differently, uh, you know, as far as a mystery, because some people are going to plot and know who everybody is beforehand. Some people are going to plot every scene. Some people are just going to have your, you know, your guideposts, whatever. But how do you sort of work with people throughout the semester to help them shape what they're doing when they may have no idea what they're doing? Well, there's I mean, there's all kinds of craft books out there telling you how to do stuff. You know, this is how you plot. This is this is what a mystery plot looks like. And um, and, you know, we can show that to people and say, this is what needs to happen on page, you know, X, X page. You need a second murder. You need you know, this needs to happen by this point in the book. And 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 every genre has its, you know, tropes and its structure. And so you can teach people that structure. What you cannot teach people is how to get ideas for stories. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are people in the world who are born storytellers. And those of us who are that um, know when, um, you know, and and we know who those people are in our families. Um, They're the ones who can take a perfectly innocent incident and turn it into a hilarious anecdote. Because they're a storyteller, they can make it interesting. They make everything interesting. And those people who have that talent, have that gene, the storytelling gene, then we can teach them the craft part to attach it to the storytelling part, to discipline that, to make it structured so that other people can enjoy it Mm -hmm. um, in a way that other people can enjoy it. So, um, so yeah, um, the, and you know, very seldom do we get students in the program who don't have that storytelling gene. Usually, they're you know they have have accepted at some point in their life that they're a storyteller. They want to write a book. They're dying to write a book, um, and uh, and that's why they've come to this program. And it's not cheap. It's not, it's an expensive program. So, um, and and it takes a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of dedication to do this. I mean, as those of us who have written novels know, it takes a lot of energy to to write a book and mm-hmm. determination. Um, I mean, there are lots of people who are more talented writers than I am who will never write a book because they just don't have the the discipline to sit down mm-hmm. in the chair every day and do it. Mm-hmm. So that's fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> Works out well. Um, what is the best piece of writing advice you give? And and what's conversely, what's the piece of writing advice, and I'm using air quotes around advice, that you wish nobody would ever tell somebody because it can really get in a student's way? Well, for mystery writers, I wish people wouldn't tell you you need a murder on the first page. I would like to find out who started that rumor and stop them. <laughs> um, but that people are always telling me, but I have to have a murder on the first page. No, you do not. Have to have yeah. a murder on the first page. Yeah. So that's the bad, that's bad advice. Good advice is, I think, um, the the one thing that people neglect to do, I think, is read. Um, 
that you should be reading a lot of books in the mm-hmm. in the genre that you want to write um because you learn from that um you, you learn what's acceptable what's not acceptable you learn what you like and what you don't like um but um but the the best advice for a writer is to practice writing you need to write um people don't read in their genre and they don't write enough they want to be a writer but they're not writing mm-hmm. and writing is like every other skill that you practice if you practice it you get better at it mm-hmm. and you learn from your mistakes and you improve and um so if you're not writing you're not a writer i think yeah. that's pretty much what it boils down to you can want to be all you want but if you don't practice it if you don't use your craft and improve then you're never going to get there such important um words so it's tough words for some people to hear but but they're they're really important for folks to take at heart because you when you first nobody writes a good first draft i mean (laughs) don't get that I think so many people put get it, that in their way and, you know, it's going to be, and it's like, no, 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 it's going to be terrible and you're going to fix it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I did sell the first book I ever wrote, but I rewrote it three times. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. There you go. Without an E on your, on your typewriter. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> right. Without an E on my typewriter. Exactly. Um, so in your, in Seton Hall, but uh, you know, Students are learning through those days on campus and through their Zoom meetings and everything else about the importance of community um, for writers. Can you talk to me about how you found community and how important that is to you as a writer? That was, um, you know, <laughs> when I when I um, when I was right when I just when I realized I was writing a romance. I um, investigated all the organizations that um, were romance writers, and I joined Romance Writers of America. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I and I wrote to them, and I said, "Where is my nearest chapter?" And they told me, "There isn't a chapter near you, but someone else has asked about it, and maybe the two of you could start one." And so that's how I came up with my writing community. Um, I started by uh, uh, the two of us met and um, um, and we we sent out invita- we They sent us a list of everybody from RWA who lived in New Jersey. That's where I, where I was living then. And uh, it was only about 20 people that belonged to RWA in, in the whole state of New Jersey. That This was early days. And um so we sent out letters to all of them, inviting them. And we we had our first RWA chapter meeting in my living room. <laughs> Just, and and they all came. I mean, every one of them came. It was an incredible turnout. And one of them turned out to be an agent and wow. who became my first agent. And um, she also represented many other people in the in the chapter. But um, so she was our program that day. <laughs> we didn't know she was an agent until she showed up. Um, but uh, so and and that was our our group that we started. Um, and so that was my my tribe. And and the group grew and grew and grew. Um, and then I moved to Pennsylvania and uh, I joined um, Pen Writers, which is an independent group mm-hmm. of, of all genre uh, all genre group. Um, and I, I helped get that off the ground as well. And um, um, and then when I started writing mysteries, I realized I'm a, out here all myself. I don't know any, I don't know how to do this anymore. So that's when I joined MWA and, and Sisters in Crime, which was very new then. Yeah. <laughs> very new. Yeah. And so what, what's the, you know, what's the reason people need to find community? Um, well, first of all, I think because writing is such a solitary thing. Um, and, you know, writers do tend to be introverts, but not completely introverts. I mean, um, we still need to talk about things and share share our burdens and um, 
figure out what's going on in the industry and we need advice. We need um, encouragement. We we need everything that everyone else needs in their jobs, but we don't get it because we're sitting all by ourselves in front of a computer in our house and there's nobody there. <laughs> so that's why these groups are so important because you, you know, you hear rumor going on in the industry, you find out trends, you find out, um, and, and if you're having a tough time, you have people that you can go to and talk to. Um, it's, it's, um, I don't want to say a support group, but it's a, it's a, it's a community that you can always call on for help Mm -hmm. and, um, and people are there for you and and writers are so generous they're you know we don't we we realize we're not really in competition just because somebody buys my book doesn't mean they're not going to buy your book they're going to buy both of our books and enjoy the book yes (laughs) so um we're not in competition we're um we're in this together and um and the more we know the better off we are Mm -hmm. so we share information we share tips we share everything yeah so, yeah that's the it, it's it's vitally important to not be alone in the world it's it's too it's too scary out there to be alone yeah it's a great it's a perfect way of putting it so you're working tell me where, what's next for you uh what's next for me i have uh the city of uh city of betrayal coming out in december which is the the uh, counterfeit lady book about the passage of the 19th amendment, um, which is a thriller. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and I have, uh, um, and my next, um, uh, gaslight mystery will be out in April. And it is, uh, wait a minute. What is it? (laughs) No, it's called murder on, wait a minute. This is hard. <laughs> <laughs> the next Gaslight book is what, 26, 27? Which, what number is it that's coming out? I think it would be 27. Yeah. So <laughs> I'll, I'll find out the title of book 27 <laughs> and I'll put it in the show notes because I, I you know, you're that's coming out. You're working right. on the next, I mean, it's, I think that for, for, for audiences to to you know sort of see the three-dimensional chess that a writer <laughs> plays as they're <laughs> promoting one book writing another book writing the proposal for the next one and then you know you're doing that Mur- it's over. murder on rose hill i just well, murder on rose hill is number 27 hill. that will be out next um <laughs> next april well and we're excited about that um yeah. Thank you so much for um, for being a member of Sisters in Crime, and thank you so much for for this really great conversation. Oh, I, thank you, Julie. Your questions were great. It was well, easy to do that. <laughs> and this long running series is um, congratulations. That it is thank a you. rare thing in this. It business is. Oh, to, I count my blessings every day. I yeah. know rare it is but, but i'm also glad for you as a writer of the second series too so that you're sort of refreshing and you know yeah. having fun with that yeah. <laughs> and i look forward to seeing how the kids grow up and how you handle that <laughs> 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 me too, <laughs> me too. <laughs> the spreadsheet will will continue thank you so much <laughs> oh you're welcome julie thanks for doing such a great job Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international, inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.